0: Are there any questions about your ministries in Haiti and the Dominican Republic? Yes, sir. Oh. That was sad. That was sad? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was sad until they come to know Jesus. Amen? Amen. Yeah, right. Their living conditions are bad, but yet they have the same Savior that you do. What's the language in that? K- Creole. Oh, that's not uh, English, right? Or Spanish. Right? No, it's not saying the line to keep you from it. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Okay. Is there a lot of uh, witchcraft and stuff? Yes, Buddhism is the cultural religion of the, of the country in Haiti, And now it's infiltrating the Dominican because of all the Haitians that have come across. God has been so good to us. We've seen seven witch doctors come to know Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Three of them are pastors, three of them are deacons, and the seventh one was a lady witch doctor that got saved. So we praise the Lord for... The blessing there. Any other questions? Yes, sir. Do many of them slide back? If, if. No. That is one thing about the Haitian people. Uh, they make a commitment. I had five men that uh, we had witnessed to for months. And uh, they were all re- relatives. One another. Some brothers. Some cousins. And I went to Bravedad, the oldest one. Or the next of the oldest. I said, Bravedad, why will not you get saved? He said, Preacher... We're not ready yet. I said, what do you mean? Don't you understand? He said, oh, preacher, you've made salvation very clear. We know what we need to do to be saved. But we're not ready to live that life yet. When a Haitian gets saved, it is a commitment to God. They determine in their heart they're going to serve the Lord. I don't say 100% of them, but a very, very high percentage. 85-90%. How do you get them interested in it? If I was a witch doctor, I would think he'd be the last guy I'd want to talk to. Him. Well, I go knock on their door. Nana Paul. Nana Paul's the last witch doctor. The woman witch doctor that was saved. Can I take a little time to share this preacher? Nana Paul. <coughs> excuse me. I went to her house. We went there for uh, how many mo- how many months, Mary? Three months. At least three or four times a week. We went to Nana Paul's house. I knocked on the door. Nana Paul is the preacher. Can I pray for you? No preacher. You can't pray for me. She said one time, I heard what your prayers can do. And I said, "Nana Paul, I can't do anything, but God can do everything. Amen? And so uh, Nana Paul, after three months of me going three or four times a week, I knocked on the door. I said, "Nana Paul is a preacher. She said, I knew it. <laughs> I said, "Nana Paul, can I pray for you? She said, no, you can't pray in the house. She said, I'll tell you what I'll do just to get rid of your preacher. You can pray in the yard. So in the yard is a voodoo cross. I go out and put my hands on top of that old voodoo cross, and I pray to have the blood of Jesus Christ. what'd she do, what she Eric? She was screaming, No preacher, not the blood, not the blood. <laughs> <laughs> that was Saturday. And Sunday we had a, a big day at the church, and we had a bus ride that went through Basinogley where she lived. And uh, I went through there and, and was running late. had a flat tire that morning, had to get one of the young OTs with me to help me on the route, and, and uh, pulled into the sending over and our truck, the box is 6 feet by 12 feet, and we get over 100 people in there, amen, we set them on top of the truck, we, I mean, the top's taped in, amen, we get four or five up there, get them hanging on the side on the guardrails and stuff, you know, the truck, I mean, we hit the church, and pulled into the vicinity you know, and we had too many people to stop at Tamayo and uh Bate, uh and just go right on to Bate 5. Well, I didn't pay any attention. Who got on the truck? Boy, I get to the church and we've all been singing and shouting having a good time. Pulling in the church and they're getting off and this one lady just ranting and raving. I said to the young man, I said, What is wrong with that lady? He said, Preacher, don't you see who that is? I looked at her and I said, well, that's Santa Paul. She came to church today. He said, I'm preacher. She didn't come. You brought her. She wanted off to you." <laughs> she wasn't planning on coming to church. Amen? And, but she stayed. And that morning I taught in Sunday school on the Doctrine of Salvation. And that morning I preached on the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. And halfway through the service, Nana Paul gets up and Mary's sitting right behind her. Now, Nana Paul, if you want to see a picture of her, she's on our display out there in the top right-hand corner. She's the lady standing in the doorway. Her mom's laying on the bed there. And Nana Paul gets up and she started down that center aisle. And Nana Paul, when she's smiling, she don't look happy. I mean, <laughs> she's just one of those mean-looking people. That's why I tell her all the time. But she comes down that center aisle, and I acted like I didn't see her because I didn't know what to expect. Inside I'm praying, oh Lord help me, I don't know what's going to happen here. And I preach over here a while, I preach over here a while, and she kept coming. And she walked right up to the pulpit and she stuck her finger in my face and she said, Preacher, I want what you have. Amen. And I had two young men, we teach our people to, to win souls and how to lead people to Christ. And I had two young men, I told her to go over there and they took her outside the building. Now our building's about this size, it's about what, 20 by 50 here? That's our auditorium. We get anywhere from 400 to 500 in there. Amen. Sorry, Dean City, but we have a good time. But this church was running a little over 300 at that, that time. And we have... Uh, how many windows we I this track? Four windows on this side. Three feet by four feet. Get as much air as you can through. Say on this side. Man, falls out there and I'm just preaching... I shouldn't have preached another word. Nobody's paying any attention to me. They're all watching that door. That door right here. All of a sudden, there was a blood-curdling scream of Sam Paul. Ah! Just a blood-curdling scream. Man, we didn't know whether she got saved or she just sacrificed one of those guys. <laughs> All the people from this side of the church start running across. Haitians can do something Americans cannot do. They can get 300 heads out four windows. <laughs> 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 but they ever start running across... And in runs Nana Paul, both arms up in the air, tears just streaming down her face. She said, I got saved! I got saved! I got saved! And uh, you said, well, did she really get saved? We took her home. I told Nana Paul, I said, Nana Paul, I'm so thankful you got saved today. Will we see you tonight at church? She goes, where are you going? What she making us do, man? She said, I gave my house to the devil. She said, we're going to go pray the devil out of my house. She said, You're not going anywhere. We still had about 40, 50 people on the truck. We all got off, went over to her property, went in and prayed over her property. While we're praying, she's carrying out all of her voodoo garb. Rob- i have never seen her without a voodoo garb. She had, a, had all of her robes, she had her magic books, her potions that she'd make. She laid them all on the voodoo cross and set it on fire. Amen. People coming from all over saying, Man, Paul, Man, Paul, what happened? She said, I found out what the blood's all about. She said, I got saved today. And she had brought more people to that church. And she walks to church most of the time. And that's seven and a half miles one way. And she brings people almost every service. Seven and a half miles. Amen. Yes, sir. I, I think you answered the question. I'm hard of hearing though. Um, I think this gentleman asked what their uh, Creole. (laughs) That's what they speak. Yes. Not the Cajun Creole. No. The the Cajun Creole is considered illiterate illiterate French. The Haitian Creole is made up of 13 different languages. Oh, okay. The the next question uh, I spoke to you and your wife in the hall. And you told how hot it is there. Do, you, do they have air conditioning by chance there? We didn't even have electricity. <laughs> okay. We didn't have running water. Okay. Well, we had running water. Every morning my son and I would run down the river and throw a Amen. we come back. But on the Dominican side, there is electricity. And your richer people do have air conditioning. But as you see, our people live in mud Muzak still. Most of them do. I saw that. Yeah, they still live in mud the huts. And then, of course, you get up in the mountain, it's nice and cool. But you got to realize that is where they were born, that's where they're raised. When it gets down to 70 degrees over there, they wear parkets. They're that cold, they wear parkets. Do you live in a hut? No, we actually bought an old Habitat for Humanity house that was 20 by 24. And over five-year period of time, we built that up and we've now made that our home, yeah. There's Can a, you speak to the state of things since the earthquake? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is it repairing well or no? Yeah. No, they're living well. Yeah. Red Cross is living well. But the is, is living well. Uh, it's sad. The uh, people are still living in tents. Uh, what, what is your water like over there? Let me finish this question, first. People are still living in tents. Uh, when the earthquake happened. We took all of our support. We bought everything we could buy. We filled our truck. We had nine tons of rice and beans and oil headed to Haiti. And uh, what, my fourth trip, manny, Third or fourth trip, I lose track of things. Over time, third or fourth trip, we got to the border to go from the Dominican side to the Haitian side. And there was the, the uh, Red Cross semis selling all their rice and beans that was donated to the Dominicans. Yeah. Then uh, with, uh, we went there one other time. How many of those new vehicles was there, Mary? Six semis with five on each semi. Six semis with five on each semi. They were Toyota Land Cruisers, specially equipped. And each one sold for 180000 U.S. They had 30 of them. I was told that they were buying 100. That's all from the aid money. Red Cross had one vehicle. Then a block fell on the third. And did it the good. They took the vehicle and drove it up in the middle between buildings and took a picture of it as though the building had fallen on the, the truck. Red Cross didn't have a building damaged on their facility, on their compound. So, you know, there's been a lot of corruption. The only real work that's being done, and there is work being done, but it's religious organizations. Okay? Uh, I'm not saying Red Cross isn't doing anything because they are, but they're not doing it in an outward way that helps the people to rebuild. The thing that was sad to me was this. After all the waste of almost a year, there was still enough money in the bank, in the World Bank, to give each family that was devastated by the earthquake $37,000 to start over. Had they given the Haitians $10,000, they would have started over. They may not have had what they had to start with, but they would have started. Haitians are a frugal people. And they will take nothing and make something out of it. I love the Haitians for their desire to work, their ethic of work, their mentality of life now death it happens and they look at death as a deliverance but I'll tell you they'll take nothing and they'll make something out of it so the waste is on the organization's part not on people's part Okay. Uh, Okay. now your question Uh, what is the quality of their drinking water like over there is it decent no uh, my wife got typhoid fever from it by just drinking that much in a glass and uh, that's one. That we had a project. I was saying that uh, when we first went to Haiti, we didn't have running water during the embargo in the 90s. We went through the embargo with our people, and during that embargo, an American organization—I don't remember the name of it now—came and offered us a project where we could come in and do something for our community to help. And they came and said, "We need water." I knew there was two springs up on the mountain where I go visiting about seven miles away, that was putting out 10 gallons of water. Each spring was putting out 10 gallons of water every four seconds. Huge springs of water. And I took the organization up there and they provided all the funds to buy the PVC for the project. We just had to dig the trench, found another organization that provided the tools. We had no money, so this organization gave us cracked wheat. And people worked. Uh, was it two weeks, man? Two weeks they worked. And they would get so many pounds of cracked wheat and oil. Nobody went hungry. Every two weeks we'd rotate 250 people. And we dug the first trench. was seven a little over seven miles long and three feet deep. We built the 2 by up there. Off of that we branched off into another uh, direction. And we went 11 miles with that water line. And bre- reaching out into gardens, and I mean the, the area now is plush. There's gardens flourishing because of this water project. But most of all, there was good water, but still you got your people that get in there, cut the line, and wash their clothes right there in the water line. So the water's still contaminated. So we have to use what we call a catadine filter, and it's a special filter that processes the water 11 times before it comes out. And we've not had any problem, but Mary one day just out of rush drank a little water, not thinking, and came down with typhoid. And we deal—we lose a lot of people to typhoid fever. During the embargo, I was burying eight to ten people per week, from because there was no medication, there was no chloroquine left, there was no uh, malaria medicine left, and people were just dying. I buried the same coffin three times. See, the law is you have to be buried in a, in a coffin. And so they would go and dig up the body, dump it out, bring the same coffin back with their family member in it. I buried the same coffin three times in one week. Yeah. Is there any other creature? We're going to use up the time today. Yes. What about transportation There are vehicles. When we first went, they were pretty sparse, but now there's a lot more vehicles. So you can get a vehicle, but up in the mountains, it's all walking. Where we lived on the Haiti side, we drove to town, but when we got to the house, we parked our vehicle, because everything was mountainous. You walked. If you had a motorcycle, you could go partway, and you had to walk the rest of the way. What kind of car was it? Our first one was a little Ford Bronco, too. Uh-huh. We, we turned it into a Mack truck. Say <laughs> <laughs> What kind of car uh government, and does the government help you there? Are they always fighting you, or how's the government working with what you're doing? Well, on the Haiti side, it's not what it used to be. When you first went to Haiti, the Americans had liberties because they trusted us. Okay? But the new government and the new generation of Haitians, and don't take this wrong, please, but the new generation of Haitians have become a welfare mentality. They think America owes them, they think France owes them, they think Canada owes them. Uh, all these things. And they don't want to work. They just want your older generation of people that we know and the mountain people, that are hardworking people. I'm talking about those that live in the big cities that have no work, that have no place to go. Okay? And uh, it's more of a welfare mentality there. Uh, but uh, overall, um, the lifestyle is, is very difficult no matter where you're at. Okay? So. I, I've seen um, things about the, the Philippines where they're trying to teach cleanliness and uh, proper defecating um, procedures and things like that. What kind of sewer systems do you have? Don't. You don't. <laughs> don't. Is that because I know it, it can also Did come. you see the picture of the pig with the pig in it? On the slides? I don't think so. The pig laying in the water? That was my wife and daughter just below the pig doing laundry. They started doing laundry and the pig just came in and watered in the side. <laughs> so here's all their clean clothes in this muddy water. And I'm dying laughing, taking a picture and they're screaming, Get that pig out of here! <laughs> so, but no, it's, uh, the, their habits are better than what they used to be. In the areas where we've worked, we've tried to help in that area. My wife has a clinic. She has a ministry called Pastor Not Ministries, and it works in that area. She deals with the widow ladies, the true widows of the church. Uh, she deals with the elderly that their families have rejected them because they're not useful anymore. Uh, the Christian schools that we've started, because on the Dominican side of the border, the Haitians, most of them don't have birth certificates. The Dominicans will not recognize them, as Dominicans and the Haitians won't recognize them. They're people with no country. So they can't go to school or anything. So Mary got burdened about that and her and heard my sister run the past maybe not part of our ministry in uh, educating those younger children now, teaching them how to read and write and teaching them how cleanliness and things of that nature. But it's not going to be a chain that's broken overnight, you know. So it was somebody else. Did they know how to read and write? Huh? Did they know how to read and write? On the Haiti side, less than thirteen percent of the children and <coughs> know how to read and write. Every January 1st is everybody's birthday that doesn't have a birth certificate, and that's 61% of the nation. A A little bit about you, where you're from. uh... I'm from Petersburg's uh, area. Do you know where Springfield, Illinois? Yeah. Just north of there. Do you know where New Salem State Park is at? That's where we're from, right in that area. I saved on April 11th, 1982. I was a religious man before that. I was uh, uh, in the Lincoln Land Baptist Church. Before that, I was everything under the sun. Uh, matter of fact, I had become a Lutheran to marry my wife. And I thought, what's another notch? <laughs> Amen. And uh, became a Lutheran so I could marry my wife. We didn't last there too long because I taught Baptist doctrine uh, in Sunday school and didn't take a long get rid of me. Amen. And, uh, but anyway, even with all the religion I had, I was a deacon. Sunday school superintendent, singing in a gospel quartet, street preaching, you name it, I was doing it in the church. Lost, man. I lost, man. But on April 11, 1982, I put religion aside. Amen. And I took Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. Religion cannot save a soul. Religion appeases a soul. More the conscience than the soul. Because the soul cries out for the truth. But religion appeases a conscience. And I tried to appease my conscience, and I got to the point I couldn't appease it anymore. I had to be—I had to have the truth. And I—I I remember that day. I was sitting in a pew on this side, and I had all my responsibilities. I didn't do one of them that morning. I sat there. I was the white knuckler. I don't know what my preacher preached. I knew I needed to be saved, but I was fighting. That the devil was telling me, you know, if you get saved, what's people going to think about you? All these years they thought you were saved. All these years. They thought that you, you know, you've done this great work for God and now you're going to tell them you weren't even saved. You'll be churched. You'll lose all your friends. And I'm sitting there. My wife's sitting beside me. I said, you're right. She goes, who are you talking to? Just leave me alone. <laughs> and finally, and I don't know where my pastor was at in the message, but the sweet Holy Spirit, and I know that He doesn't automatically speak to us today, but I want to say to you as if He was sitting beside you. He made this statement. Is pride worth hell? And I said out loud, No! <laughs> Man goes, What's the matter? He goes, Just leave me over like I get saved. <laughs> and I went forward that morning and I got saved. Amen. It's never been the same. changed my life. That was April 11, 1982. May of 83, God called me to preach. left for Fellowship Baptist College, East Peoria, Illinois. And uh, graduated there in 86. God had called me to missions, didn't know where I was going. So I asked the Lord to put us in a brand new work to teach us how to start a church. And He sent us to Greencastle, Missouri, a little town of 385 people at that time. Now we've got to count all the coon dogs to keep the population up. There. But uh, anyway, uh, helped start that church, and that's our sending church. And then, uh, God, I went on a missions trip. February 1988. First mission trip I ever took overseas. And I had the worst attitude. I didn't want to go to Haiti. My wife didn't want me to go to Haiti. She had it figured out we could have gone to the Bahamas or Hawaii. Amen. As was. And uh, I said, well, the zone was right. The region was right. Amen. And, uh, but anyway, got down there and God literally broke my heart. And uh, we had gone to call back. And I was so negative that a man comes up walking on his hands. His legs have been uh, cut off somehow, whether amputated or what, I don't know. And he wore all three fingers on one hand and two on the other from walking on his hands on them rocky mountains. And he asked me a piece of bread. And I remember saying, Lord, this is not the bread that he needs. The God, he needs the bread of life. And my heart was broke. I told God this. I said, God, you bless my job and I'll send two missionaries. <laughs> <laughs> and God said, I don't want to. 30 that morning, out under a coconut tree, Brother John Bishop was with me. Out under a coconut tree, I gave my life to the Lord for the Haitian people. And it's been the most wondrous journey of my life. I thank God for the privilege being able to minister to those people. You say, what kind of people are they? I think your grandma. I had fallen off a mountain and dislocated my knee. Wore out six good Haitians, carried me off the mountain, amen? They brought me home. They splinted it up the best they could. And then walks Grandma. She's got one leg and one crutch. She said, Preacher, God told me to give you my crutch. I said, Grandma, I can't do that. She said, Preacher, I can't clean the church like they do. Preacher, I can't go on the mountains like that. Preacher, I can do this. And God told me to do it. And I took that crutch. How many weeks, maybe four, six weeks, something like that. I've got enough strength in my leg. I headed up the mountain on visitation with that crutch. Grandma's house was down here, and I'm up on a path up here above her. And I happened to look down. I was just praying and happened to look over. And there she was, dragging herself on her belly to the garden. And I watched her pull weeds laying on her belly. See her other leg was stiff; she couldn't move it. She hobbled even with a crutch. And I remember standing there and saying, "Oh God, thank you for people that give their heart." Folks, the greatest thing you can do is give your heart to God. You want this to be a, just a church? don't change. But if you want to be a place where God's at, give your heart today, Lord. You say, but I'm already saved. He still wants you. Grandma was saved. See, when you give your heart, there's no sacrifice too great. There's no need too great. There's no distance too far. There's no mountain too high. But there's like a young baby. Twelve-year-old boy that got saved. laying on his deathbed just a few weeks after he was saved. Saved out of Buddhism, Twelve-year-old boy, his life was dedicated by his mom and dad to be a witch doctor. His family had cast him out because he had Robbed them of their blessings from Satan because he not saved. John Daney came down sick. I went up to see him. He was swelled up so big, his skin was beginning to rupture. I remember kneeling down beside him. I said, Oh, John Daney, don't no look 12 year old boy brother looked at me He said, Preacher, it may not look good from where you're at, but I'm missing Jesus. I'm going to see Jesus. I began to weep uncontrollably, and his hand slipped into mine. He said, "Oh, preacher, don't weep for me. Weep for my mom and daddy and my grandmother. Weep for my brothers and sisters. That they be saved." He said, "Preacher, when I die, promise me you'll preach the gospel." Twelve-year-old went home. I'd be back in two days. I had to run an errand in town the next day. Two o'clock that morning. Running comes off the mountain preaching. John made me bad. Usually it took a little over two hours to walk that mountain. I made it an hour and fifteen minutes. I went in that moth. Went in that back room. And they made this little boy his stomach eruption. The stench. I hug stuck so bad. His hands were swollen. His face was swollen. And I knelt down to grab his hand and again that swollen little hand slipped in mine. I said, Oh, John, Danny, I've got to know, do you know that you know that you're saved? He looked up at me with a smile. He said, Oh, preacher, I'm going to see him. I'm going to see you the last words that John Dainey said to me after I prayed with you, I was preaching, i want to save a spot for you. right beside me. I can't wait to get there. To know that you can know and have that assurance of your salvation. People that doubt every day. They say you can't know. It's a lie, you can't. Amen. Because see, our God's so great, He promises to keep us. He promises to present us faultless. John David passed away. I went home. The next morning I went to the church, 4 30 to pray. Here's this little Cassius. Well, is it that long Mary? About that long was John body. And I beg to oh, God. Empower me like I've never been. Give clarity in the creole language that there's never been before coming out of my mouth. That the gospel might be I breached my heart out that morning. The first one down the aisle was his dad. But here comes his mom. Here comes grandma. Here comes the brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles. We had people standing. There was inside the church 20 by 50 auditorium that morning. We had over 600 people. Outside the door, between that door and the road was probably 50 feet. Solid people out to the middle of the road. Along both sides of the building. So deep you couldn't see the back side of the people. And fights were breaking out in the crowd. you know why? People trying to get to the altar to be saved. We sent our soul wonders out in the midst of the crowd. Though being dead, yet he speak? He gave his heart. Grandma gave her heart. What have you given God? He doesn't want your money. He doesn't want your home. He doesn't want anything that you have of material goods. He's the one who gave them to you. the only thing that He asks is your heart. Have you given Him your heart today? Have you given Him your heart? Maybe you're here today and you don't know Christ. You need to come and give Him your heart in salvation. Maybe you're here today I hate to use this terminology but this is what it is. You have a hope so salvation. I don't know what I know, TC and his wife, and I know the preacher and his wife. Outside of that, I don't know any of you. But maybe you have a hope so salvation based upon what you can do. It's not based upon what you can do, it's based upon what Christ done for you. Therein lay John Danny's assurance. Not in what he could do for God, but what God done for him through his son, Jesus Christ. You could know. First John 5 13, 13. These things have I written unto you, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. It's not a hope so, it's a no so. If you were laying on that, laying in that mud up today, would you have the assurance you shall lay me dead? Christian, if you had one correction and one lame, What would you give? You know what Grandma gave? She gave her heart long before she ever gave that courage. Would you give your heart to the Savior today? If you're here and you don't know Jesus, would you come? If you know Him, would you come and give your heart? Say, God, I've given you my time, I've given you my talent, I've put God today, I'm going to give you my heart. Because it all lies within the heart. You may not have a talent to you, you, have a heart for you. Let's all stand together. I know that-